Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Jerry Fu about common mistakes to avoid when dealing with conflict. Jerry Fu, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. You're joining us from Houston, Texas. I'm here south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Uh, It's a great opportunity to meet with you today and have a a good conversation around common mistakes that we need to try to avoid as leaders when we're dealing with conflict in our teams, in our organizations. Uh, Conflict is inevitable, uh, whether you're talking about a, a marriage, a partnership, a friendship, uh, or in the workplace, conflict is inevitable. It does happen. It will happen. The question isn't, you know, whether it'll happen, it's what to do when it happens. And I think that's a big part of what leaders have to do. And we've talked before on this podcast about, you know, the leaders who tend to kind of run around like chickens with their heads cut off, putting out fires all the time. A lot of those fires tend to be conflict related, (laughs) uh, fires between people on their team. And so we're going to try to talk about proactive approaches that we can take, um, you know, to deal with healthy um, disagreement uh, and when natural conflicts arise, but then also how what to do when more challenging situations emerge and how to diffuse them and, uh, you know, come out with a more productive uh, dynamic relationship within your team. As we get started, I wanted to share Jerry's bio with everybody. Jerry Fu is a conflict resolution coach who helps Asian American leaders advance in their career and life journeys. Having taken on several pharmacy leadership roles, Jerry started coaching in 2017 to help other Asian American professionals deal with the conflict they encounter at work with their culture and within themselves. Prior to starting his coaching business, Jerry served as a pharmacist and began facilitating leadership workshops in 2012. Today, Jerry offers a range of coaching services, which includes individual coaching, group workshops, and keynote presentations. And I really could go on and on. You do so many really great things. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background before before we launch on into the conversation. Uh, sure. I mean, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's been fun just having a multicultural mix of, of things that you don't expect about somebody. Like, for instance, I took German in high school. And so, you know, I can surprise a bunch of Europeans with that. And then, you know, I also got into salsa dancing. And, you know, that also is an uphill battle trying to convince Hispanic women uh, that I know what I'm doing. And, uh, but yeah, um, other than that, just, you um, just love experiencing new cultures and, you know, seeing what people have in terms of backgrounds that we can all learn from and uh, help just give each other a fresh set of eyes and new perspectives for sure. Yeah, I love that. Fresh set of eyes, new perspectives. I think we need way more of that in this very polarized, divisive world uh, that we seem to be in right now. Uh, so I, I love all of that. That's that's wonderful. And, and maybe um, to start off, if you could provide a little bit more context 
in terms of why you chose this path? I mean, you're, you're doing pharmacy work um, in various pharmacy leadership roles. What caused you to, to make the shift out of leading in that kind of a sphere versus, you know, what you're doing now with the coaching and the training and the keynote speaking? Yeah, great question, Jonathan. So yeah, it's it's funny when people from the outside say, "Yeah, how did you get from A to B?" And you know, in my mind, it makes sense, right? Because <laughs> I was the one who lived it. But for someone else on the outside, basically, uh, the the simple answer is that leadership saved my career. Um, I was in chain pharmacy for the first five years, and uh, after I, that, I realized that that was no longer a satisfactory uh, career path. I tried to get into teaching. Uh, through a pharmacy consulting company, which I moved to Houston for. 11 months later, got fired. Just I had to realize that I was not that serious about becoming a credible instructor. Um, that's when the roller coaster got really weird. I ended up uh, working for a company where four of my paychecks bounced, filling for crooked doctors. That was a tough nine months. Uh, my friends got me out of that job into another one that could only pay me more than eight, no more than eight hours a week. And so, you know, I'm moving to Austin temporarily to get more hours with them with no idea what my life is going to look like. And so that was the summer I, I was tapped to help with leadership development workshops and teaching leadership kind of flipped something on in my mind to say, well, you know, before I said I could never be good at this. I don't want to look like I'm incompetent, so I'm just going to avoid it altogether. But now I realize the necessity of, of acquiring leadership skills and experience. Um, and so when the opportunity to take on a full-time management position had opened up back in Houston, I took it uh, knowing that I couldn't stay safe. And it was more try, struggle, fail. Uh, and what I tell people is that, you know, I have more job opportunities because uh, I had leadership experience on my resume now. But uh, most uh, pharmacy jobs that offer a high quality of life don't last very long. So it's like, I have more icebergs to hop to, but they're still icebergs. And so they're, you know, melting after a year or two. And so uh, four years ago, when my previous employer went under, I said, well, you know, I'm tired of chasing scripts and uh, fighting insurance companies that dictate my worth and you know, all those other things. And so I said, but I love teaching leadership workshops uh, since I've, I've been doing since I started, you know, nine years ago. And I said, what if I had a career uh, you know, what would a career in this look like? And so started my LLC. Finally, it took a pandemic finally to say, I can't put this off any longer. Right. And uh, yeah, um, that was basically the space that said, okay, that, so I want to get into coaching. I uh, started with leadership, got my credential. Uh, then I realized for the time being, I need to niche down because there's plenty of leadership coaches out there. You know, why pick me? Uh, and so as some people like to say, sometimes you don't so much choose your specialty as it chooses you. And, you know, with conflict, I've had plenty of situations where I just couldn't run from them. Uh, one fun example is when I was serving as a church class director my second day on the job, I found out that a newer guy was sexually harassing women in the class. And so I had to go handle it. it they didn't give me a manual. They just said, yo, you just got to just got to take care of it. And it's just kind of like this is kind of almost you know, mafia style, right? You're just kind of like, I don't know. doesn't matter how you do it, how you do it. Just make the make the problem go away. And so in that uh, and navigating my own challenges. At one point, I had to evict a roommate who defaulted on his lease, you know, all these other, you know, high stakes situations where you realize um, you can't afford to stay comfortable uh, because, and you can't just hope the problem will go away on its own. So um, that is where my heart comes from, knowing that I want to not only make leadership uh, more feasible for people uh, that were like me 10 years ago, but also to give confidence, say, hey, you know what? I'm going to respond better to these challenges that are, are not a matter of if they come up, it's when they come up. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And thank you for, for that additional background. I, I think we, most of us 
take an, a non-linear path in getting to where we're at, right? Uh, every now and then you have the kind of the strange weirdo who just like somehow has clarity and figures it out really early. My wife's one of those. Um, like she knew in high school what she wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and then she just kind of worked towards doing it. Uh, but I think that's kind of the exception. Uh, and I've, I've kind of had this, this meandering path as well. And, and I think most people uh, tend to have some sort of a nonlinear meandering kind of experience as they're just trying to learn more about themselves or trying to figure out what's going to work for them, for their families, for their careers, all of that. So I applaud you for, you know, taking those difficult steps. It's uncomfortable when you're getting into new spheres, right. And to try to figure out what you want to do. So, so that's excellent. And of course, I, everything about the coaching, the leadership, all of that kind of stuff is stuff I feel passionate about. So I totally get why, you know, you eventually get to that point where you're like, this is what I want to do. Uh, that's wonderful. So how did you decide to really focus on conflict resolution for Asian American leaders? Uh, clearly, you know, you, you have uh, some of your own multicultural background. Um, so perhaps that's part of it, but I suspect there's more to the story there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. So uh, part of it is just knowing that the, the Asian culture as a whole uh, tends to be avoidant uh, or they, they don't like to deal with conflict, uh, you know, when things come up and it really colored a lot of the way I perceive people's slights or other things whenever, you know, people seem to be pleasant, you know, on the surface and then find out, you know, later, like they ghost me or, you know, something I, you know, I never, I never enjoyed it when, you know, it seems like people, you know, like if I go over to someone's house and I stay over the night and then they're like, Hey, thanks for coming. You know, hope we can do it again. And somehow I did something accidentally that kind of set them off and said, you know, I can't believe he didn't like throw away the trash the way we like to throw away trash or something like that. Right. You don't find it until after the fact that where they've just basically, you know, disengaged and disconnected you and pretty much cut you off. And because, and the, the reason I thought that was that, I mean, my parents did it all the time. Like my, um, I had a friend who like in college visited me like as he was going through uh, for one summer break. Uh, he was Korean, but he grew up in the U.S. So didn't necessarily have a lot of the awareness for, you know, how Asians expect guests to carry themselves. And, you know, the, the, the unspoken expectation is that, you know, you leave the house as if no one had stayed in the guest room like you fold the bed exactly the way it came you know you clean up the bathroom it is clean it's spotless and so you know he stayed a couple of days and you know my mom was a gracious host and uh you know after he left my mom was just like can you believe this guy like he didn't even clean up the hair in the shower he didn't da 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 and because he you know for other standards like that's just part of the territory just like to guess some kind sometimes they leave a little mess and you know it's, it's just part of the you know the, the hospitality that you're willing to take on right but um after seeing what my, my mom's reaction i just thought is this how i have to deal with conflict where you just kind of let your people save face because they don't know any better uh you know if someone refused to take off their shoes in in my house right or just didn't realize that they had to do I bring something up like or do I just let them walk around my house with dirty shoes and then clean up and then just feel resentful about it until I try to get over it whenever that happens right so um knowing that this is what I dealt with for the longest time and realizing very quickly that in leadership that's not an approach that works neither for you nor the people paying your checks uh you know you realize something has to change maybe there's a better way than just the status quo that my parents insist that i need to settle for yeah avoidance just doesn't seem to work does it <laughs> uh, lots of people take that approach uh, whether it's kind of the the uh the asian saving 
face kind of an approach or, you know, passive aggressive approaches that we see in the West, uh, you know, not, not, those things tend to not um, play out well over time. Uh, and, and it does produce misunderstandings, resentments, you know, those types of things that when they're allowed to fester, it just a small thing becomes a big thing. And it's just not necessary. I, you know, I see that with my wife. Uh, I've been married for 19 years and we know each other very well. Uh, you know, there's so many just, we're, there's so many similarities. We're compatible in so many ways. And then there's other just weird little quirks that we both have, right? And we learn those things over time. And I either have to be willing to like express things. If it's going to bother me, I either need to let it go or I need to like express it to my wife. <laughs> and if I don't, it's, it's just going to fester and it's going to cause problems unnecessarily so. So that happens, of course, at home. That happens uh, in different uh, context, it certainly happens in the workplace. Uh, so we need to make sure that as leaders, we're proactively trying to understand when those misunderstandings happen, um, under, you know, try to, to uh, keep our finger on the pulse of our team so that we can step in when necessary to help manage and, and deal with the types of uh, challenges uh, that our team members might be facing. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Well, so let's talk a little bit more about some of the specific mistakes, those common mistakes that we should try to avoid uh, when we're dealing with conflict in our teams. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to share all the mistakes I've made <laughs> and all the ones I'm trying to avoid now. Uh, you know, in line with the first one, which we talked about earlier, which is avoidance, uh, the, the secondary, like 1A of that is uh, like overcompensating, right? So let's say a technician, you know, mistypes a prescription. And so I say, okay, well, you know, they're probably busy with other stuff. I don't want to antagonize them. Let me just go ahead and fix it, right? And then it happens again. And then it's like, well, you know, maybe there's a pattern here, but again, I'm going to find reasons to not engage because I, I value my popularity too much to engage in something with that might antagonize them or make them defensive or, you know, ruin the relationship. So let me just keep doing this. And now I'm doing two jobs instead of one, right? So that's the overcompensating. It's like, no, um, if there's a pattern, that's the other. And that leads to the second 
uh, thing is to assume that you know exactly the story behind why this mistake keeps happening, right? So if you say, okay, I have the evidence, I've justified it in my head, I know I'm right, now I'm going to charge ahead. I need to go ahead and, you know, validate my story and change it and fix it, and then things will be fine. doesn't work that way, right? Uh, just because you had enough courage to engage, if you don't you know, have a, a kind of a battle plan to, to use one term to have an idea of how you're going to engage, uh, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail, right? Now you're just, you know, making everybody mad because you just charge ahead and then all of a sudden you have to, you're on shaky footing and you didn't script out your key phrases, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's another one. The third is to think that conflict resolution involves coercion or compliance. Uh, sometimes it is like there are certain things that you just can't negotiate and those are you know hopefully more exceptions than rules but uh the third mistake is that yeah somehow i have to convince this person that i'm right that they have to understand why i'm right and just you know um just agree not to tick me off like going forward certain things and i can assure you that that might get the yes you're looking for initially but the heart doesn't change at all right like at one point i had to uh, file an incident report for a pharmacist who had dispensed the wrong medication to the wrong person. And I had to sit down with her and you know, walk her through the situation because she kept insisting that she never makes mistakes. And she kept blaming the technician for you know, putting it under the wrong profile, things like that. And it's like, true or false? Um, you are responsible for catching and fixing any mistakes you know, before a prescription leaves the pharmacy. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, so what are you going to do differently? And she said, well, I guess I'll just be more careful not to sit there thinking, no, unacceptable. And of course, you know, she's just, she's her, her shields are up. She's not, I'm not getting through to her. And she just kept insisting that the only story is that, um, is that Jerry is trying to gun for me. And, uh, you know, he's trying to make me look bad when really the real story that I need to, you know, uh, take with her and walk her through was that Jerry is looking out for my license, right? Hey, we are Jerry's on Jerry. Are Jerry and I on the same side? Um, you know, yes. Okay. Uh, if Jerry and I are on the same side, okay. How is this? How, uh, how can we get this relationship back to a point where we are looking out for each other and we're not just trying to pin things on people, right? So, yeah, those are some of the more common mistakes I know I made uh, in the process of trying to resolve conflict well. Yeah, and I appreciate the the overcompensating uh, comment. That's definitely one that I fall into the trap of over and over and over again. Uh, because you know, like I don't want to make a big deal about something. You know, it's not not a big deal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'll just step in. I'll just help out. Whatever. Uh, sometimes that's fine. Like you're just helping out, and and then you just get past the situation. It's it's never a recurring problem. But um, but. Other, otherwise, uh, in a different context, you know, you're stepping in, you're doing that, the, the person that you're stepping in for, they either learn to rely on you to step in for them, or they feel undermined because you're stepping in for them. And I, I think of this old, uh, this old activity that I, I did years ago, uh, I, I did this like day long ropes course um, uh, team uh, building kind of an activity. So there are all these different things that we did. One of the things we had to do uh, was it was just like this V. Um, so if you can imagine there's like a tree and then there's these wires that come off the tree uh, to, out into a V and then they're staked into the ground. And the task is for, uh, for people to get up on the, on the wires where they're really close together. And then you lean in and you press your hands together and slowly while you're kind of leaning in, 
and, and trying to balance each other's weight, you take steps out on the wires until you get further and further out on the V, right? So you're leaning further and further in, you're further and further out. It, it really takes communication. It takes balance. You have to be able to, to work well with the other person on the other side. Um, and, and I remember being in that situation. I, it was my turn. I'd seen other people on my team try to do it and they'd gotten a few steps and fallen and, and I'm like, okay, I've, I've been able to see their mistakes. I, now I'm going to be able to do this. And I get up there and with my partner and we take like one step and we fall, you know, and immediately I'm like, oh, this guy wasn't even paying attention. He, does, he wasn't, wasn't trying to figure out how to do this correctly. Now we're looking stupid in front of everyone else. We get back up, we get another try. Um, and, and this time, you know, we take maybe two steps. Again, we fall. And so they, because we're so bad at it, they let us get up and try again. <laughs> and we get up and at this point, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is, is terrible. And, and so we get up again and we, and we try, and maybe we get three steps, but we fall again. And the, the activity's over, we do the debrief and the facilitator asks, you know, he's like, so what happened, you know, uh, with John and his partner? Like, why, why did they keep falling? And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, of course this guy wasn't paying attention. He wasn't figuring, he didn't pay, uh, understand what he needed to do in terms of us balancing each other's weight. And, and so we just kept on falling. That's what I'm thinking in my mind, even though I have a smile on my face and I'm not actually saying any of this. Um, and the facilitator, facilitator says, uh, after a, a few people make comments, uh, he says, well, really, it was John's fault. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why is it? Why was it my fault? How was it my fault? And he basically came back to this overcompensation. He's like, John um, was so anxious to, to move out. He was leaning in too much. He was over trying to overcompensate for, for this, his, his partner's um, uh, lack of leaning. And that just made them so imbalanced. They kept on falling very quickly. They would have been better off uh, spending a little bit more time trying to cal calibrate and figure out the balance. Um, and even if the other partner wasn't going to lean in as much, you know, maybe John didn't lean in as much and they just reached their hands out further or whatever. Um, so we were kind of going through that. And that was like, that was the first time anyone had ever kind of expressed that notion to me. I'd never thought about it, um, but it changed my perspective on how I'd been with teams for years in my life leading up to that point. And I reckon, I realized over time, it really bothered me. So it sat with me for several days, even a week. And I just kept on reflecting on it. And I, and I started to really realize that, yeah, I've been doing this for years. Every time I'm in a team setting, I tend to be that one who inadvertently steamrolls over people. I overcompensate you know, and inevitably I have the narratives in my mind of, oh, I got these lazy team members, they're free riders, they're, they're, they're expecting me to do all the work. And, and while I'm sure there was probably some of that in some of the teams that I was in, there's also people retreating because I'm steamrolling them, uh, people feeling undermined or condescended to because of my approach. And that, that was a transformational experience for me. It was a, just a simple little activity that only took a matter of a number of minutes um, and it really shifted the way I understand myself. So, so that overcompensation, the avoidance of course is horrible. It causes all sorts of problems. The overcompensation isn't much better. It causes lots of problems too. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to share that little bit of an example. Absolutely, man. That's, uh, that's exactly it, right? And I, it's fun to be the hero. We like being the hero, right? We watch heroes on TV and movies all, all the time. 
it's like, oh, I got to be the hero. I mean, that was that was my mentality for the longest time. I was just like, I'm tired of people settling for a, a crappy status quo. I'm going to go out there and, you know, throw away all the litter and do all those other things. And then all of a sudden people say, wow, Jerry really likes to contribute. Maybe contribute over here and here and here and here and here. And then everyone else is just still on the sideline because the people who know how to give continue to find ways to give, even if they are running on low fuel. And then the people who are used to watching them give don't have to do anything differently. That was one of the things in leadership where we talk about letting people fail at an acceptable rate. It's like you want them to struggle and fail, but not to the point where they like bankrupt the company, right? Not, that's when the goalie needs to come in to be sure. But uh, calibrating that as, you, as, you, as you've uh, experienced, right? It takes time, right? Okay, this is something, you know, $30 mistake, I can let them make. $500 mistake, okay, let me step in and make sure this doesn't happen again, right? So, yeah. Yeah, excellent example. Um, this has been just so interesting. I'm wondering, as we're getting close to the end of our time together, if there's any, um, you know, there's there's so much that you've learned just through your experience, but I imagine there's been uh, mentors that you've had, perhaps there's been um, TED Talks or books or other resources that you've consumed that have really helped to shape your philosophy and your, your understanding of the world. Uh, is there anything like that you'd like to share with listeners? Oh, happy to. Yeah, there's, I I am. Um... It's like the Newton quote, right? If I can see farther than anyone else, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants, right? I mean, there's to, to not give credit to the resources and people that have poured into me so I can become a more effective leader, uh, it would be, would be hypocritical, really. Um, two books I can recommend that kind of helped, kind of helped me, you know, customize my own recipe for conflict resolution. One is called Difficult Conversations. Uh, you know, I was like, I'm not good at this. Let me see what books are out there, right? Just type that in the Amazon. They clearly knew exactly what title to pick so that I zero in and buy it. So ta-da. Uh, they provide a good framework in terms of like, you know, arbitration, whether it's arbitration or just, you know, like like fam, familial conflict, they provide like a, a simple framework to, to do that. Uh, another book that um, a pharmacist leader friend recommended to me is called The Four Conversations, which is by Jeff and Lori Ford. Um, they are a management consulting couple. And one of the four conversations where to specifically deal with conflict is the closure conversation. And they talk about how to apologize well, you know, acknowledge that there's a problem. This is how we restore, repair, and recommit, you know, when expectations are broken. And they have some tips like don't let people off the hook because that means you know they'll lose respect for if you don't follow through with consequences that you know you need to enforce. Um, and so that was those two books kind of colored my own um, you know approach to things. Another book, um, uh, Switch and Decisive, actually, well, both of them by the Heath brothers. Uh, they talk about uh, scripting critical moves. Uh, that's what I kind of talk about in my own framework is that you, you have to write out the key phrases and other things you want to be sure to address. Uh, because if you do not think about uh, what you want to address, you're probably going to forget in the moment. So, you know, do some planning beforehand and, and do that. So uh, those are the main books, I'd say, uh, that kind of helped shape my framework and, and the friends who shared this with me. And yeah, um, you know, feel free if you want a, a cheap, easy solution, just go read those books and, you know, see, and try it out yourself. Uh, you know, otherwise, if you want a little more personal attention, by all means, hire a coach, even if it's not me, just go out and invest yeah. a, a little more of your time and money to really uh, close the gap on time and, and production loss that you're having because you're not uh, addressing conflict appropriately and, and promptly. Yeah, it's, it's definitely worth it. And I appreciate you sharing those thoughts and those resources. Uh, super helpful. There's so many 
you know, resources that I've found to be incredibly helpful over the years as well. And so as we just share those with each other, you know, some things are going to resonate more with, you know, different people and that's great. Um, but there's just so many great resources out there to help us to be more effective. Well, it has just been a real pleasure talking with you today, Jerry. I appreciate your time, your insights, all of the examples that you've shared. Before we wrap up, I just want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, website uh, is www.adaptingleaders.com. I have a free blog on books that are useful and interesting. So by all means, check those out. If you don't have time to read, just let me serve them up, uh, serve up some useful summaries for you. Um, you can also get a free download on what the framework that I use uh, for navigating difficult conversations. And you can also schedule a free 30 minute uh, complimentary call, just you know, share your story or tell me a situation that you need help navigating. And so we can do it that way. And uh, social media handle, just find me on LinkedIn, just look for the conflict resolution coach. Perfect. Thank you, Jerry. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Jerry can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.